My guest today is Chelsea Macklin. Chelsea is the Chief Marketing Officer at Lunch Club, where she leads the company's marketing initiatives that drive brand awareness and user growth. Prior to joining Lunch Club, Chelsea served as Vice President of Marketing at the dating and social networking app, Bumble. During her time there, Chelsea led Bumble's global marketing initiatives, focusing on brand and cultural strategy, international branding campaigns, always-on marketing, and integrated partnerships. Her cross-functional team worked to test, develop, and implement innovative marketing strategies to grow the brand internationally. She helped the company launch its newest vertical, Bumble Biz, and developed go-to-market strategies for regions including Canada and Mexico. In her four years at Bumble, Chelsea helped the business scale from 10 million to 100 million registered users. Chelsea has spent her marketing career honing her expertise in scaling technology-based B2C and B2B businesses. She's passionate about driving exponential, high-quality growth and believes marketing is a vehicle to build impactful relationships with customers, create digital and physical communities, and ultimately solve societal problems. Both professionally and personally, Chelsea has a passion for social impact and supporting women-led businesses and is deeply interested in the socioeconomic and cultural forces that shape and form human relationships. In her spare time, you'll find Chelsea behind her favorite book, listening to podcasts, traveling, and on occasion painting. In 2019, Chelsea was named Business Insider's 20 CMOs to Watch. And when she's off the clock, Chelsea retires to chief mom officer to her two-year-old Quinn. Our chat today had many highlights, but here are just a few teasers for what's coming up. We start off talking about her very first job at Bob's Burgers, and how that gave her unexpected early business foundation, as well as how her passion for art taught her how to express emotion. I learned how to think about customer service. I learned how to see and watch and observe an incredibly fastidious business being run, which you wouldn't think of for a a mom and pop burgers and ice cream shop, but. I really resonated with how Chelsea described her non-linear career path and how she thought she would be an art curator. However, after graduating, she realized that her path would look a little different to what she expected to be working on and started in affiliate marketing at a startup. After this, Chelsea proactively reached out to Whitney Wolf through social media and joined Bumble in 2016 for a wild and amazing ride. You know, there were seven of us. We were, I was taking calls out of the bathroom in our apartment. We talk about what it's like in building up the foundation and culture of Bumble and the importance of mission-driven decision-making. She also discusses things that they practiced in her teams while rapidly scaling, such as radical candor with radical kindness and scrappy, not crappy. <laughs> we then move on to Macklin's new role at Lunch Club, where they're breaking down barriers and offering people unique opportunities to connect with people outside of their network. I shared that I was really looking for the intersection of three things, cutting edge technology, social interaction or human connection, and social impact. Chelsea explains how she defined her purpose and curated her core values over a decade, helping her to make decisions every day. Stay tuned to the end to hear some of the success stories she experienced in her new role. I am a huge fan of Chelsea's, to say the least, and I walked away from this conversation feeling not only inspired, but empowered. And I really think you will too. So Chelsea Macklin, thank you so much for joining us on the Bet on Yourself podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I have very much been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I think 
your career highlights so many of the principles that we talk about here on the bet on yourself podcast and i cannot wait to dig into like all the details behind some of these major milestones in your career but i wondered as we got our conversation started if we could just start at the very beginning I'm curious, what did you think you were going to be when you were a little girl? What was the original plan A? So a marine biologist, artist, farmer, perhaps. I don't know. That's still in my long-term plan at some point. But um, I've always had a love for animals. I've always had a love for art and storytelling through art. Um, And I'm a not very talented artist myself, but I enjoy it a lot still and have been doing that since I was very young. Like landscapes on the side of a dolphin, like <laughs> all three of them. The otters throughout this. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's right. It ended up being your very first job ever, like as a teenager. That's a good question. I started working pretty young. So uh, trying to sell my art unfortunately, around the neighborhood, mowing lawns, uh, grading math. Kumon was one of my very early, early jobs, which is sort of funny because that's never been a super strength of mine. Um, But my first official job was at Bub's Burgers and Ice Cream, a small mom and pop shop in Indiana, where I learned how to think about customer service. I learned how to see and watch and observe an incredibly fastidious business being run, which you wouldn't think of for a, a mom and pop burgers and ice cream shop, but uh, it was wonderful work and it was grueling and I learned so much. I think there's something really foundational that happens when you have worn all the hats and you've done that kind of entry level intern kind totally. of whatever gets thrown your way that day, problem solving. It's yep. kind of crazy. I never expected that later on in my life as like a, a startup founder, that those experiences would come back as very handy. So important. Yeah, totally agree. So you start off at Bub's Burgers. Where does that take you? What did you end up studying in school? Did it involve math, science, burgers? Where, where did you go? <laughs> All of the above. Uh, I studied art history, Spanish, and creative advertising. So art direction specifically. So definitely themes of art and storytelling through art um, and had a wonderful time at school studying those three specifically. My mom is an artist. Her medium is, she does landscape oil painting. What is your favorite medium? I love oil too. I don't do it as much anymore. We do acrylic and I say we, because I do it with my two and a half year old. Um, But I need to see your mom's work. I'd love to check it out. She learned it from her parents, both of her parents, while she was raised on a farm, that was their favorite. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I would love to see her work. Yeah. It's really fun. Acrylic is tricky for me because I learned on oil from her. And Mm -hmm. so very opposite styles, isn't it? The texture is so different. Yeah, but it's so fun and easy to get messy and clean. Some of my favorite childhood memories are actually sitting down after school. My mom always taught art lessons in our studio at our house. And um, I would just sit down after a long day and she would just plop down a canvas and just create. And I'm not talented. My mom is naturally very gifted. I'm terrible. But the process of creating something and maybe expressing yourself in a nonverbal way. So I imagine you and your two and a half year old are creating some similar experiences together. Yes. And the, the types of conversations that you have over art and then also the way that you're learning, like you said, the way that you're learning to express emotion, thoughts, um, and just develop emotionally in general is so wonderful to watch in that experience. 
So when you were studying art curation at university, what did you imagine that would take you into? What was your ideal dream job as you were studying that? I thought I was going to be in Spain, honestly, at the Prado, where I did study, actually. My school took me there. Um, and I thought I would do some sort of curatorial work. I, I actually worked at the Dallas Museum of Art a little bit and thought that that was the career trajectory for my for me. And um, ended up being totally different, huge pivots, as you mentioned. But I still think that the core of storytelling through you know, visuals, being able to tell an entire emotional experience that all different types of people can relate to without words is really critical to marketing and advertising and building a, a business and a brand. So it was foundational. Definitely. And you mentioned studying Spanish. I now live in Spain. It's just about conversational. I'm by no stretch fully fluent. Um, I find also I'm able to express myself in different ways in different languages. Spanish is one of the many foreign languages I've studied and, and can communicate in. Did you find that as well, that it might have informed kind of the, your marketing expertise now being able to express yourself for different, maybe you're more mindful about the different cultures, the way your words might be perceived. Did that feed into it for you? Absolutely, absolutely. And even thinking about positioning for Bumble in different countries and the just the word choice and keeping it as simple as possible, but communicating the essence of what you're trying to share is so challenging in other languages, but it, to your point, it makes you more thoughtful and makes you connect with people on a different level too, because there's vulnerability when it's not your first language. And so both parties have to try harder to understand what you're trying to communicate. So vulnerable. That is exactly the right word for this experience. Like having left Google after 12 years and now being a, a startup founder is a vulnerable, let alone doing it in a different culture, in a different language. What did I do to myself? That was, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What a challenge. Definitely a challenge upon challenge yeah. in a challenge sandwich. Um, but I, you mentioned Bumble. So connect the dogs for us. What, so you studied in university, what were the connectors between graduating and what led you to Bumble? Sure. Um, so I, right after graduating, I actually worked for a, another startup company, uh, affiliate marketing, right when influencer marketing was starting and right when larger traditional publishers were coming online and trying to learn how to monetize and build their businesses and brands. So I, I was at that startup for about three years and we had the incredible experience of scaling the business. We ended up with around 12,000 clients internationally ranging from Vogue or Insale.com to smaller up and coming uh, than they were called influencers. Now they're lifestyle publishers across this space um, and had some incredible mentors. Honestly, I had some great folks from Bain. I don't know if I can cuss, but I had a hard ass CFO who taught me how to think about unit economics and, um, you know, put that statistics and calculus <laughs> study to work and was really foundational. So uh, over those three years, learned how to build brands, create marketing mixes, uh, promote collaborations and help people monetize, whether they were small businesses or really large businesses, and took that and consulted for a little while afterwards and was in California for a moment and then came back to Texas. And to be honest, I was really lonely. I missed having a team. I miss seeing clients in person because all of mine were then in California. 
and Whitney, our our founder and CEO of Bumble, had posted something on social media that said that she was looking for um, marketing folks. And so I just reached out and had actually done a breast cancer awareness campaign with the then CBO at that first startup. So I interviewed and started, I think, two weeks later, and it was a wild and amazing ride from there. You just reached out cold. You saw a posting. You didn't know Whitney. You just thought, hey, I would love to be part of a wild ride of, of a team of people doing really hard things again. And off you went two weeks later. Yeah, looking for a challenge, looking to build a team, looking for, for businesses where I was mission aligned also. And that was really unique and special about Bumble and continues to be unique and special about Bumble. I couldn't agree more. I mean, having left a team that was like my family for 12 years, like my foxhole friends been through all the war rooms and 3 AMs and all the things that it involved in, in crazy product launches. Um, that's what I miss the most. Like, yeah, Google has amazing parks, but boy, do I miss my team the most. Yeah, so much, so much. But you'll always have those relationships. I've found that those work relationships transcend and become part of your family for spending more time with them often than you are with your family. So yeah, I have not lost anything. I thought that they, I would become like out of sight, out of mind. No, no, never. <laughs> so you were at Bumble from 2016, right? Tell That's right. early years. What was it like as you were building up the foundation of what became this incredible international company of Bumble? Oh, it was so fun. We uh, we were working out of an apartment in Austin for the first about a year, and we grew so quickly. You know, there were seven of us. We were, I was taking calls out of the bathroom in our apartment. We were just bursting at the seams. So we had to, we had to build a beautiful office that um, has been covered in architectural digest. And I'll send you a link. It's absolutely stunning. And the little branding across the whole space is really special. Um, so what was it like? It was a lot of testing and learning and building a new sort of integrated marketing and brand strategy that had purpose at its center, which was, again, such an important differentiator. Um, I actually have a notebook of all of like the first year of Bumble. And I think my very first week was marketing personas, unsurprisingly. So uh, building the, building out, um, you know, who we were serving and why, which we were all already doing, but just in a more uh, articulate and documented way. And then testing a lot of different things until we understood who we were serving as, as best we could and um, creating strategies to reach them in meaningful ways. You mentioned a couple of times being really uh, focused and aligned with the purpose and the mission of companies that you work for. I too, that's my number one criteria, is looking for what, what good are we trying to put into the world? Who are we serving and who am I going on this journey with? Can you tell me about that mission-driven decisions you were making in the early stages of Bumble and what about that resonated with your own personal values? Oh, absolutely. I think for anyone, for anyone, anyone has been, everyone has been in an experience or in a position where they're powerless in their lives. And so the, the premise of Bumble is by making the world better for women, we make the world better for all. And doing that through safe, healthy, and equal connections um, can change one life, but can also change the world at scale. So it's interesting because as you might imagine, there was certainly a certain type of archetype that was attracted to, to Bumble. So the team was full of really, really passionate folks. Um, and I think some of the challenge was just how do we serve in all the ways that we can and want to, according to our mission, without overextending ourselves and with 
ensuring that we're making as much impact as possible. Um, so, so we ended up developing a cultural strategy uh, without realizing it early on and then more formally over time um, that was based on the stage of feminism in the country that we were operating in. And so in places like the United States or the UK, especially in the last year or two, thinking about intersectional feminism in a way that can not only provide more fire to the flame and, and make sure that people are getting access to the power and opportunity and new and different ways. Uh, but then also in other countries, like um, I launched Mexico, where at the time there were a lot of gender-based crimes and violence. How do we, of course, treat that market completely differently? Um, and how do we apply that cultural strategy in a way that's purpose forward rather than brand forward mm -hmm. and put our money in places where we're not, no one will necessarily know about it, but we know that we're doing the right thing according to the brand. Wow. I love that purpose forward rather than brand forward. I, I think that's really beautiful. And I, one of the things I'd love to see the most uh, as we're coming out of this crazy pandemic time is people really being even more thoughtful about where they want to put their energy and realizing we just have one life, which is very precious and wanting to align ourselves with what is closest to our personal mission and vision for what we want to do with our lives and finding companies, not only to spend our money with, but to work for um, and looking for that alignment. I love to see that, especially I, I so appreciate that about the millennial generation um, that they're that just comes a little bit more naturally, maybe because they're more used to being connected. Social media didn't exist when I was their age, you know, young. I actually read an article recently that described me as a geriatric millennial. I thought they were like, what? Worst term I've ever heard. That's terrible. I've never heard that before. I'm gonna look it up after that. It was. I gosh. I wish I could remember what. Because I what like literally paused in my tracks and was like, what? Author of the article was also 43, same age as me, and he's like, I'm technically a geriatric millennial. I was like, what? No way. <laughs> literally. Um, <laughs> But I actually missed, so I didn't have social media when I was younger, thank goodness, because yep. I had that data permanence on, on a lot of my awkward years of figuring out who I am and what I believe in. <laughs> Second, I actually missed dating apps entirely. I'm probably one of the very few people left who's never, ever, ever had an online dating profile because I, my, I was married for 15 years and then I found my Spaniard suddenly before, way before I was ready to start dating. And so I missed <laughs> I think um, this cultural experience is really interesting. So whenever I'm hanging out with my sister who's single, I, I do the swiping for her. Uh, that's my only experience. And it's a lot more fun because it's zero risk for me. <laughs> it's way more fun to be the matchmaker or the person that's actually doing the swiping and the, and the chatting on behalf of a friend, for sure. So while you, you joined, um, I digress, <laughs> sharing my geriatric status. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you, so you joined Bubble when it was a seven-person company. Your title in the end was Vice President of Marketing. What was your trajectory like? Because I know now being in a <laughs> startup of my own making that you just wear all the hats. So what was all the of your learning curve and, and feeling like you could really own a title like VP of Marketing? Sure. I think first and foremost, building making sure that we built the strategy around the, the consumer that we were trying to serve 
and the team. So over those years, they built the brand, the marketing, and the partnerships team. We scaled from 10 million users to 100 million users. We went through the Blackstone acquisition. I launched Bumble Biz. We launched in so many different countries in Canada, then Mexico as an entry point to LATAM and, and all over the world. Um, and some of the pivotal moments were definitely, you know, launching a launching Bumble Biz within Bumble while we were still a lean and mean team, launching in new markets that had very different cultural expectations and gender norms around dating and connecting and what romance looks like and making sure that we could keep the brand true to itself, but show up in a market in a, in a way that was helpful and meaningful and heard the culture and reflected that in the product and the brand and marketing. Um, and what else? We the, the team scaled enormously over that time. We launched all different types of marketing. One of my favorites were the Bumble Hive series, which actually just formalized into Bumble Brew, which I'm so proud of the team for, which is an actual brick and mortar um, coffee shop in New York that everyone listening will have to check out if they're ever in New York. Uh, but the hives were pop-ups that we started in New York and LA, but then brought all over the world bringing people together for safe, healthy, and equal interactions programming. Um, it, was, it was a really special experience. I think I kind of went all over the place there. Did that answer your question? And I want to touch on several things you mentioned because I'm fascinated how you scaled from seven to being able to launch to the scale that you did. So that must've happened really, mm -hmm. for example, when I was at Amazon, I joined as just under employee number 1000. So I missed the seven person like fit in a living room size of a team. And then similarly at Google, I was very early. And then um, the year I joined Google, we literally doubled the number of employees in a single year. And so that's my closest experience I have to scaling, but you, I imagine was even much more dramatic. So how did you grow from seven to being able to do these incredible launches that you just mentioned? Sure. Um, we resourced what worked. So of course, you know, experiential or ambassador program where there are thousands of people across the world now that are, that are Bumble ambassadors, our grassroots sort of city launches and takeovers, our digital strategy in general. Um, and because we were so test and learn oriented, we were able to figure out what are the things that can impact the business and move the brand forward. And how do we find the best people in the world who want to work with an early stage startup to bring that mission and vision to life? Uh, and so you learn a lot, I think, about yourself as a leader in those moments when you are moving so quickly and scaling the team so quickly that ultimately you're, you fail as a leader. Uh, occasionally is, is a generous term. Uh, and, and you learn how to... Um, both delegate and let people be autonomous and lead their own parts of the business. And that's something that is a testament to Whitney too. She always said, run your business like you're the CEO of that part of the business. And I'm so grateful for her and grateful for that lesson because I don't think that I would have had that permission from other folks and, you know, being in consumer tech and finding a leader like her was so unique and special. So, um, I think that's a big testament to her leadership. Uh, we practice two things and a couple of things in my teams, but, but, um, two important ones that I will always keep is radical kindness with radical grandical, excuse me, radical candor with radical kindness. Um, and 
scrappy, not crappy. Like when you're moving so quickly and when you have to scale that fast, it's not going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. Um, but it, it should meet the needs of the consumer. It should meet the expectations of the team as best as possible. Uh, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't stop progress. So, so many nuggets of wisdom in there that I just want to like write each of those down. I radical candor with radical kindness. I haven't heard before. I do really appreciate that kind of like transparency and expecting your teams to be able to be fully honest with you and push back, question your ideas, make sure you're seeing around those blind corners. But the radical kindness is the essential part. If you don't have that relationship of trust where we're all in this together and tolerate as long as we're pivoting and learning as fast as we can and iterating. I I think that's because one of my essential questions before our conversation was how do you preserve such a special culture with such rapid growth? And I think you just answered that. I think that's what it is. We're bound to fail, you know, especially when we're growing so quickly and I think kindness has been perceived so long as a, as a weakness in business. And I have found it to be completely the opposite. It is a, um, an unlocking mechanism. It allows us to create trust and meaningful relationships so quickly, but then it also is a motivator for myself, for the team, for it, it makes coming to work every day, exciting and rewarding. And if we can treat each other with kindness, then I think that's when we put the best work out into the world. Mm. And I love that you aligned yourself with a leader that you not only liked, but you wanted to be like Mm -hmm. Uh, watching how Whitney was leading from the top through that example. And then you having full autonomy to create a special system of trust and and ownership. And you had full autonomy within your area of responsibility allowed you to be that CEO of marketing and really run very, very fast because otherwise in these incredible hockey stick moments of scale, there's just no other way. You're just, to run <laughs> and things break in the process. We could talk about this forever, but your career is so rich and there's a lot I want to come to. But before we move on from Bumble, I'm wondering what that IPO experience was like and how did it, I'm, I'm guessing it became kind of a capstone for you because then you decided to go on to your next huge challenge, which is not, not a small move on your part. Um, but guess what was that moment like for you? Because I've actually never done that. I joined Amazon and Google about a year after both of their IPOs. And I've always imagined what it would be like to, to be standing there on that day. What was the Just a pinnacle, an absolute pinnacle. And I'm so proud of the team. I was so proud to see uh, Wit and some of the founding team members there on, on the day that they rang the bell virtually with the balloons coming down and Wit with her, yeah, Wit with Bo on her, on her uh, hip. It was such a pinnacle and, and validation that a women-oriented business can be that successful in the world. So it was an amazing, amazing moment. I'm so proud of the team and will always be proud of proud of the team for that because it took a village, as you know. I can only imagine. I mean, I don't know Whitney and I did not work at Bumble and the, seeing that photo of her that day got me eyed as a, as a, an, a biz, fellow businesswoman. I just felt so represented by her and her reputation. And I just, what a special experience to have been part of a core part of getting them to that moment. Hi there. I just wanted to take a quick break from this fascinating conversation to invite you to buy my book, Bet on Yourself. It's available wherever you like to buy books. In Bet on Yourself, I'll take you on a deep dive into the best practices I collected by watching the exceptional careers of my CEO mentors, including Jeff Bezos, Marissa Meyer, and Eric Schmidt. 
I also share stories of what it was like to work at Amazon and Google during the foundational years of those companies and the internet. I use my own career as a case study for how to translate the habits of these super performers into any career at any stage and within any industry. I also attempt to answer the question of why all three of these celebrity CEOs chose to partner with me in order to fulfill their most ambitious goals and how I am now going to do the same for you. While these stories are fun and fascinating, what I hope for most is that you will walk away not only inspired, but with a playbook for how you can take action, recover from setbacks, and create your own wild adventures and joy-filled success stories, and a work life centered around your personal mission and values. Okay, let's get back to the podcast interview and more examples of how taking even seemingly small bets on yourself can lead to extraordinary results. Okay, it's hard to move on from that, but I am very curious. Um, now you are at Lunch Club. Can you tell me about the transition from your huge roller coaster ride and all the things you learned at Bumble and how you're repackaging that and why this was the next challenge you wanted to take on? Yes. So I was introduced to Vlad, the CEO and founder of Lunch Club late last fall by a mutual friend. Um, and we just started sort of casually talking about his vision, about Lunch Club. And he knew that I was possibly thinking about what's next. And I shared that I was really looking for the intersection of three things, mm-hmm. cutting edge technology, social interaction or human connection and social impact that can lead from those two things. And so that conversation became more formal in, in 2021. I got to meet the team. I met the investment, the investors. And like we both shared, I think the team is such a critical part for me. So seeing this incredibly talented group of individuals, that is incredible, as you know. Uh, Scott is amazing, the other co-founder. And the team is just brilliant and passionate and kind. And that is exciting and unique. And then the fact that Lunch Club did check those boxes of cutting edge technology and social connection and potential for social impact was really compelling to me. So I was looking for something early stage and yeah, it just came together in a, in a very serendipitous way, which is funny because I think a lot of the value of Lunch Club is based on serendipity. So bringing it full circle. I want to unpack a little bit of what you just outlined. You knew the three things that you were looking for in your next challenge. I am a huge believer in doing this. I call it creating your dream resume, which for me has nothing to do with the titles or the company names or the things that will impress your parents, friends or whatever. For me, it's all about who am I going to be on this journey with? What type of person am I going to become? Who are we serving and what am I putting into the world? And asking yourself those questions. What do I want to wake up and do every day? What do I want to be the legacy of my daily decisions? How did you come up with your list of three criteria? What was the inspiration for that? Sure. Um, You know, it's been developing over the course of probably a decade. Uh, I've always been attracted to that cutting edge technology from my very first career. Uh, And the social connection part actually was inspired by a few pieces of research over the course of the last um, probably five years. So the first one is uh, actually a bunch of different research, an 80 year Harvard study 
that studies the longevity of, of folks. And basically, if you are in a healthy social community and have great social interactions, whether it's with your closest friends and family or with just the people that you're getting your coffee from on the street, um, you live longer than folks who are cutting out tobacco or alcohol or exercising with frequency. Uh, so social, our social relationships and our social connections are more important than I think any science has really understood. Yeah. Um, yet we're the loneliest generation the, with the most anxiety and depression. So there's a disconnect um, right now. And the other piece of research is called the dis disintermediation of friends, which is uh, from a Stanford study I don't know if I shared it with you or not, but I will share it with you after this. And basically it tracks the, since the beginning of online dating, how coupling and how connections have changed. And LGBT, LGBTQIA couples and interracial couples have hockey sticked in growth. The length of, the, of those relationships have extended and the frequency of relationships that are happening because of online connections are increasing. It's one in three now. So those sort of two pieces of research that show social progress by taking out the boundaries of geography or existing community um, or bias that we live with every day, plus the importance of social connection to our health and livelihood and happiness and longevity are really the two pieces of information and research that have inspired me, especially in this last, let's say, three years. Wow. I'm so glad you unpacked that because now your choice to go to lunch club feels like so obvious yeah. because in my, my experience, just as an outsider, as an avid user, um, I see all of that so clearly represented. One, as you mentioned, the leadership is high quality, kind people who are really thoughtful about the impact that they can have in the world. Second, my, my experience with the lunch club started in March of like, like the March of the pandemic. Right. So this is a moment where I was, I actually flown from Spain to the United States. I got locked out because Spain closed their border. My return flight got canceled and I ended up holding up with my parents for nine weeks before Spain opened the border again, which was like the greatest silver lining of this en entire pandemic. But while I'm trying to run my global consultancy business from <laughs> bedroom I had in high school, um, I felt the need to connect with people who were similarly pivoting and struggling. And I got this random email from Lunch Club inviting me to join. And I thought, why not? I really need somebody who knows what I'm going through right now. And um, so Lunch Club, similarly to what you were just describing, is breaking down so many barriers and giving you an opportunity to connect with people that otherwise you never would have come across. Maybe they're uh, a circle or two removed from your current network. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the artificial intelligence behind it? The AI behind it is the part that has impressed me the most because every single one of my conversations has been an up-leveling from the one before and how that can continue to be true, I don't understand. <laughs> it's magic. The AI is learning. Yeah. Um, so for listeners who aren't aware of Lunch Club, Lunch Club is a networking tool that's super powered by AI. And that AI takes into takes a couple of different data streams into account. So public data, and then what you as a member choose to share with Lunch Club. So 
what types of learning experiences, what types of conversations do you want to have? Do you want them to be peer-to-peer outside of your existing industry? Do you want them to be mentorship-oriented where you're mentoring someone or someone is mentoring you? And basically you share those objectives with Lunch Club. And then the AI does its magic and finds you the person or people, hopefully lots of people that help you build your network. And I don't know about you, but I've always found that access to network or access to community is an unlocking mechanism for economic opportunity, for social impact. And so when you're able to connect with, whether it's the person that you walked by today that you didn't realize was someone that can really change your life professionally or someone across the globe, that I think that's what gets me so excited about Lunch Club and hearing you say that it's been amazing for you is so exciting to hear um, have been interviewing some success stories over the course of the last uh, month or so. And there's just so much richness that's already coming out of Lunch Club. And it's so early. There's so much more that we can do and so much that we're excited to roll out this year and, and next year. So um, I'm really excited and I'm really grateful for the opportunity. I would love to hear a couple of your favorite success stories. Because for oh, sure been so incredible. I have, I've been very privileged to have an access to a network that is far senior to me just because of the roles I've had in the past. So I considered my Rolodex very deep and very impactful. Even with that said, I have had connections made for me on Lunch Club that never would have happened otherwise, where I now can mentor. Um, for example, next week, I'm going to be speaking to Scale Ireland with the startup CEO community. Ooh. Very cool. Or connected with Accelerate Her in London, for supporting C-suite women. These opportunities to just share best practices and connect with them has enriched my experience and made me feel connected in a time when I have never been more stationary. <laughs> no, no Here, what other success stories you're seeing? What are your, some of the best cases? Oh, sure. Um, I have three just from the last. And uh, tell me if that's too many. I'll I'll, I'll stop after each. Okay. <laughs> okay, so the, the first one is from Billy, whose email said how his email's title was How Lunch Club Changed My Life, which I wish I could start every morning with that kind of an email. email. It was so invigorating. Uh, he outlined three different things. The first one was a connection to someone who I didn't realize had mutual interest in the SPAC space. And over the course of the last few months, they've decided to launch a SPAC together. The second one was someone who didn't seem like maybe the right hire, but after they got to know each other a little bit better, was actually a perfect fit and exactly what he needed for his company. And then the last one is a new best friend who is completely across the world, but they connected and he said that something just clicked and now they catch up every four to six weeks and he considers them one of his closest friends, which is incredible, like to find your best friends during the pandemic across the world. Um, so that's Billy. Um, Scarlett is a young founder who just got her first million dollar check for So Synced, which is a dating app uh, that is founded on personality tests. So they use Myers-Briggs um, as the root of that and so excited to see her business scale and come to life after this first check. And the last one is Ali, who is an author and expert, and he just got a $10 million deal for his next project, which is so exciting. So each of those are, are pretty economically oriented in terms of unlocking economic opportunity. But I think also just that needle on a haystack metaphor where 
there are there are these opportunities in the form of human relationships all over the world that uh, lunch club can be an unlocking mechanism for and it's super super energizing to be able to to do that on a daily basis Oh, I love those stories. Also, I didn't realize that first example. I thought that was the three people, like one oh, guy. No. Yes, one guy, Billy. Yes, all those three. And <laughs> what a pleasure to chat with him too. He's a huge fan. That's incredible. One of the things that I've been most impressed with, not only is the quality of people that I get matched with, every single time I'm like, oh gosh, I think the algorithm thinks I'm fancier than I really am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always amazed at who it matches me. Oh, yeah. And second is the generosity of the conversations. Nobody yeah. pitching each other. Nobody's trying to get something. Nobody's promoting something or selling me services. Everyone is just there to help each other. And that's my favorite thing about this community is everyone's just there to like, oh, I'd love to introduce you to a friend of mine who might, you know, is a great right. advocate, or she's been through this similar growth stage as you. And that is consistent across all of the connections I've had. I think that's truly remarkable. And it goes back to your emphasis on culture and mission of what are we trying to create and contribute and how are we going to interact with each other? Right. So I've really enjoyed this as my pandemic crutch for my social interactions and, and increasing my network, but I'm also super excited to see the world opening up again. I just got my vaccine shot number one on Thursday. Very, very happy that normalcy might be on the other side of this year. Um, and I just, I've been uh, following with Envy on social media that you've started to do some live events again. So you just hosted an event in Miami Talk to me about, because you've had this incredible boom through the pandemic, it was great timed and so needed by so many people. And now you're going to continue this growth by returning to some in-person events. Tell me about some of the things you're looking forward to as the world is opening up again. That's right. And I, I think Miami was so incredible to see come to life because of course, we've been doing lots of interviews, lots of research, and we know that the appetite for meeting in person is there and that people are you know, maybe even more open-minded than ever before because they're so excited to reconnect or connect with new people in person. And so, you know, I was anticipating a pretty good turnout, but we had almost a thousand people come through that day. Wow. And the, the feedback that we got from folks that, you know, this is the perfect tool because to your point, it, and even for me personally, being able to network on my own terms, from my house or from my phone or in transit or in person, I want all of those options. Uh, and I want it to be convenient to, to me as a consumer. Um, and now I think it's really about just serving people where they want to connect. So in person is a part of that, absolutely. But we'll, I think we'll always be hybrid because people will always want to connect in different ways. And we also want to preserve that magic of being able to connect with someone outside of your geography. So if there's the happenstance of if you're traveling, uh, hopefully we'll be able to catch you and have an event in person and um, be able to bring the community together. But, but also want to be able to preserve both the accessibility and the ability to connect across different borders and cultures. Um, so hybrid will be our model moving forward for sure. I'm very excited about that because one of the greatest benefits for me with Lunch Club has been connecting still. I feel like I still have a connection with Silicon Valley, like my old hood, my, yep. <laughs> my family. I met people all over Europe, all over the world, um, being able to 
connect, but yes, I am craving a little face-to-face. -face. So that makes me think you're about to, you're experiencing uh, hockey stick growth again. You've been through this with Bumble and here you are again. I think um, I've seen numbers that you, you've you grown by 1500%, like 1,500%. Yeah, that's right. That feel like, how do you ever feel like you're riding that wave rather than it crashing on top of you? What's what's the balance you're looking for in this astronomical? Sure. I, I think just like a lot of tech, it's always that like skyrocket, plateau, skyrocket, plateau, skyrocket, plateau, because you're understanding the consumer, understanding the, the members and trying to build and continue to innovate to serve their needs. So of course, high, hockey stick growth during pandemic, and now we're rolling out the features that folks know that they want and need, and hopefully the features that they don't know that they need yet, but will become really important um, to stay connected in the future. Um, so for me, it's about continually learning, continually understanding the best that we can, how we can innovate the product to continue to unlock economic and social opportunity. And that's about it. I love how for you, this consistently comes back to the mission statement. This is such a beautiful theme of our conversation that I find when you have this astronomical growth or you're pivoting into a new strategy or new markets, it's easy to lose your way. It can get disorienting and it, uh, the decisions get a little muddy and murky. But when you have a very clear mission statement and purpose of what you're trying to do, people don't have that disorientation. And I just see that in, in all the lessons that you've been sharing, that this has been kind of that, I think of it as a ballerina who's like pivoting across the stage and she's spotting, she knows mm -hmm. exactly her focal point. And I see that in your career. That's right. As a real through point. So as we're wrapping up our conversation, I could, I would love to talk to you for hours and hours and I plan. <laughs> But in the interest of a podcast as a temporary marker, I wonder if we can end our conversation by talking about some of the things of which you're most proud about your growth, maybe a moment of rapid accelerated skills or a leadership moment where you've been mentoring someone. What comes to mind as you're thinking about the legacy that you're creating on a daily basis? Living the legacy. Yes. Oh, I love that. That's borrowed from you. Um, that's a good question. Yes, absolutely. I think my mentorship and and coaching and team building has been super rewarding seeing people unlock and be able to be the best versions of themselves in work but also in life now that all of those things are blended together has been continues to be super rewarding uh, one of my team members has never really done marketing before and she just built this integrated Miami grassroots campaign and I'm so proud of her and now she has this in her toolkit to be able to to do moving forward um and then I'm really proud of actually a lot of the failures over my career and still failures that were true to mission but maybe didn't necessarily create the outsized impact but still we learned something um I don't know that I would qualify this one specifically as a failure because it also was an incredible opportunity, but it didn't drive the 10 or 15 X growth that we wanted it to. And that is a, a series called empowered by biz at Bumble, where essentially we looked at categories and industries where women were really underrepresented, like um, music, for example. And we partnered with uh, leaders in the music space to put, three new rising artists on the biggest stages, uh, Lollapalooza, et cetera, and get mentored by the likes of Casey Musgraves and BB Rexa and just 
the once in a lifetime opportunities that you never get, especially as a starving artist. Um, and that campaign was not our most successful, hmm. but it was incredibly impactful and it paved the way for new and different types of opportunities. And it was true to our mission and our brand and our values. So those sorts of, those sorts of lessons I think are really important because like you said, you're spotting and you're twirling and things aren't always going to work, but you're still spotting at the mission and the purpose that you're trying to achieve. And even if we fail, at least we are making progress. I love that. I think um, I get asked that a lot of like, what, what is the biggest mistake of my career? What do I have done differently? And like you, each of those taught me something so important that I would not go back and change it. It was worth the investment for what I learned. But the ones that I do regret are the mistakes of omission. When I didn't take the chance, I didn't launch the thing. I didn't, you know, volunteer for something. Those are the ones that haunt me actually. Yeah. Same. Yeah. That's true. Um, it's so hard to choose a last question, but I wonder if um, I'd love to end the podcast on positive note. What are you looking forward to most in the future, whether personally or professionally? What gets you excited about what's coming next? Mm. I'm really excited about hybrid for professional, but also just for life in general. We, the silver lining, one of the silver linings for me from the pandemic was learning that I could be still. <laughs> let's, let's say great in quotations, a great mom and partner and friend and coach and mentor and team member. And I could do that in a way that I could use, I could do that in a way that use technology to make it 10 times easier on myself because we're all multi-hyphenate now. We do so many different things and it's so hard to prioritize which are the most important for the people that we're supporting, but also for ourselves as individuals. And I found that I could be more efficient in my work and my relationships in some ways throughout the pandemic, but also less, less efficient. <laughs> and so finding the balance of those two things and taking some of that um, convenience and accessibility into this next year or next chapter, because I think everyone has has found new habits or new hacks for the pandemic that hopefully have made life a little bit easier, even though that was terrible. I say was terrible. It's pretty much over in Texas right now, but I know across the world it's it's different and slowly, 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 hopefully changing. Um, and yeah, I I'm really optimistic. I love to hear that because from someone as accomplished as you and as connected and globally minded as you are, if you are that excited about it and have these lessons to take away, I'm confident that, um, yeah, that this light at the end of the tunnel is here and that we'll all be a, even better off on the other side. I've abs I absolutely feel that way. Even though things here in Spain aren't quite at the level that they're at at Texas, we're not reopened. We're just barely, you know, still muddling through a little bit of semblance of normalcy. I see that hope on the horizon and I fully believe in it. Totally. So Chelsea, you've given us so much wisdom. You're working on so many incredible things. How can our listeners continue to follow along with the Lunch Club journey and with you personally? So first and foremost, it wouldn't be a good marketer if I didn't ask the community to join Lunch Club, lunchclub.com. Uh, follow us along on social at Twitter, we're Lunch Club AI and on LinkedIn. And for me personally, I try to share our Lunch Club news on my Instagram, Chelsea Keen Macklin, and um, love to mentor and do continue to angel invest. So if there's any way I can help your community, please feel free to reach out.
That's so generous. Thank you so much for your time, for that offer to connect. I'm definitely going to be following along on everything you, you guys have in the works. Uh, so I'll stay closely tuned. But thank you again for sharing all this wisdom with the Behind Yourself podcast listeners. Thank you.